and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biago on this live broadcast from Studio 14. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan this Friday, January 5th, 2024. At least 10 people were killed in the latest cattle raid in South Sudan's Jongoli state. Yesterday at 3 p.m., the, the fighting erupted in Punta Buma, Dupa Yuelpayam, Du County. That fighting... It, uh, it killed nine people and 17 wounded in our side. And thousands of IDPs stranded in Upper United States capital, Malakal, are in urgent need of food assistance. Why is the food always delayed too much? Our question is the organization that is providing food to all people is not giving us here until we reach the new year. And we don't have food. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. At least 10 people are dead and more than 20 people wounded in a cattle raid in Duke County in South Sudan's Jungle State. Peter Lajor, Duke County Commissioner, says the attackers, alleged to be from Pibor administrative area, stole more than 7,000 cattle. A Pibor official says his government will arrest the attackers and return the cattle. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayar reports from Juba. Peter Lajor, Duke County Commissioner, says gunmen attack a cattle camp in Poktap. Yesterday at 3 p.m., the, the fighting erupted in Poktap Buma, Dupa Yuelpayam, Duke County. That fighting, it, uh, it killed nine people and 17 wounded in our side. And uh, the number of the cattle have been taken by the, by the attackers. There are 7,000 head of cattle. Actually, the, the attackers are a greater before administrative criminal. Two of them were being killed during the fight. They are morally. On Friday, he told VOA that 14 people with life-threatening gunshot wounds were flown this morning for treatment at Juba Military Hospital. Abraham Kelang, Information Minister for the Greater Pibor Administrative Area, says he has been informed of the Duke attack and that his government stands ready to monitor the movement of the suspects in an effort to arrest them and return the stolen cattle. This is not very good report, but uh, if it's really true, we government of GPA will condemn that uh, criminal attack and also... We are waiting. If they are coming to our site, we will collect all the things and we will return back at that cattle. Second, this morning I had this information and I, com- I com- communicated with Commissioner of uh, Gumruk to observe, observe that all the roads. If really you come to that site, we will let you know. And also we give pressure to Commissioner to observe that issues. Cattle raids have been a leading cause of violence among communities in the region for decades. Elizabeth Nyadak-John, Jongle State Information Minister, says several efforts to stop such raids have been unsuccessful. The government of Jongle State and the government of uh, Greater Pibor have been just finishing the peace talk in Juba recently. And again, they even talked in, uh, in governance forum about that. This is beyond government. This is uh, a youth, a criminal group of youth that are mobilizing themselves to go and attack the, the group of people. Nyadag urges the national government to deploy forces to the region to help prevent more cattle raids.
Kelang, the Greater Pibor Information Minister, says disarming youth can help end the cycle of violence. Because uh, if government doing disarmament, no more use of guns in hand. In South Sudan's pastoral communities, cattle are highly valued and used as a store of wealth and sign of social status. The animals are used to pay dowries and compensate crime victims. For VOA News, I'm young David Mayor in Juba. Over 3,000 internally displaced persons from Jongule State temporarily settled on Malakal's fire brigade land say they have been neglected for more than eight months. They fled to the capital of Upper Nile State in 2021 to escape floods and intercommunal violence in Jongule State. They are now calling upon the government and aid agencies to give them food and resettle them to a better place in Malakal. Mamer Abraham Court reports for VOA for Malakal. Internally displaced persons or IDPs living at Fire Brigade IDP camp in Malakal claim the government and aid agencies are neglecting them. Malakal is the capital of Upper Nile State. While Galwag Riek, a 67-year-old father of 10 children from Akobo County in Jongle State, says other IDPs in Malakal are given food and other aid, but those living at the Fire Brigade camp do not receive any help. Why is the food always delayed too much? It was received in June and up to now we did not receive it again. Our question is the organization that is providing food to all people is not giving us here until we reach the new year and we don't have food. And they are the ones giving food to other people. That is the reason we are asking the same way. All IDP camps organizations are providing food, cooking materials and solar lamps. Here we did not receive them. Why? He says health workers tell sick people to eat or drink before taking medicines. But there is no food available. Our organization is giving medicine while you don't have food to eat. When you are given a tablet, the approach is you go and take tea and porridge before you take the medicine. How can we take the medicine without food? Women say they sell firewood or sometimes bake relatives and friends to feed their families. Rebecca Cholgarwich, a 31-year-old mother of six children from Jongle State's Akobo County, lives next to a graveyard at the fire brigade camp. We are living near a burial yard. We always see people who are buried. We are affected by the bad smell of buried people. We don't have toilets, so we go to open places. For three years now, many people have died of hunger because when you have a little sickness because you did not eat food, that sickness will become too much for the body. So many people died here in the fire brigade. John Wiyuel is deputy chairperson of Fire Brigade IDP camp. He says they need food and land to settle in. He says they faced a lot of difficulties in their old homes in Jungle State. Many IDPs say their children and elderly relatives died and they lost property such as cows and houses in floods and violence. 
Weyuel says the problems they fled, including floods and intercommunal violence, still exist. He says the people living in their counties are armed, which is why they do not want to return there. Francis Faustino Ojok is the Director for Administration and Finance for the Relief and Rehabilitation Commission, which coordinates aid for IDPs in Upper Nile State. He says the state government is aware of the challenges IDPs in Malakal face. He urges aid agencies to provide food or courage. Ojok says there is a lack of funding for non-governmental aid organizations, while the influx of returnees from Sudan and other countries has stretched resources. They need something to eat, like food, like meat, uh, fish. So, so if there is some NGOs offer this uh, support, like cash, it would be better. Uh, so we encourage them when there is some people working that project. Uh, they were given last time ago, but uh, it's not always uh, uh, like something continuing or ongoing project. And even some NGOs, uh, the running shortage of uh, or lack of funding, especially this year. And they, they told us before that in 2024, uh, the funding will uh, reduce less than 50%. He says the state government is clearing land to ensure all the IDPs and returnees are settled. But the lack of land clearing equipment is causing delays. The report to us earlier. And we know that place is uh, fire brigade premises, and they came before and claimed for that. So government is the one who put them there in that place. And government is the one who will remove them from there and give them to another location. So government is working on that. Ojok says the government has ordered the State Ministry of Housing to clear the land for the people to be settled as soon as possible. Last week, your Aluaitut, the Executive Secretary for James Odok Oyai, Governor of Upper Nile State, said the state government will relocate IDPs in other protection camps to Malakal this year. He added that the state government will open roads and provide electricity and clean drinking water before June. For VOA News, I am Amer Abram Kwad in Malakal. Sudan recalled its, its ambassador to Kenya following an official reception for Sudanese paramilitary leader Mohamed Hamdan Dagulu, also known as Himeti, in Nairobi on Wednesday. Foreign Affairs Minister Ali al-Sadiq told the state news agency Suna that Sudan recalled his envoy yesterday to protest the official recep- reception of what he called the leader of the rebel militia. He added that the Kenyan government had failed to condemn abuses committed by the RSF in the nine-month-old conflict. Sadiq mentioned that his office would consult with Ambassador Kamal Jubara and reevaluate Sudanese-Kenyan relations. Sadiq went on to accuse Kenya of supporting a rebellion in Sudan and conspiring with hostile regional actors against the embattled Northeast African country. It's not the first time Sudan's military-led government has accused Kenya of supporting the RSF. Back in July, Lieutenant General Yasser al-Ata who is Assistant Commander-in-Chief of the Sudan Armed Forces, accused Kenyan President William Ruto of favoring the paramilitary forces. After, that after Ruto suggested deploying East African peacekeeping troops to Sudan. Sudan criticized Ruto for interfering in the country's internal affairs. 
Ruto denies the allegations. Sudan has also repeatedly rejected Ruto's leadership of an EGAT subcommittee called the Quartet Group, tasked with mediating an end to Sudan's conflict. Dagalo was in Nairobi a day after he signed an agreement with a coalition of Sudanese civilian activists aimed at ending the conflict between the RSF and the Sudan Armed Forces. Former Sudanese ambassador to the United States, Nureddin Sati, is a member of the civilian coalition known as Taqaddum. He told VOA yesterday that the Sudanese army and its leader, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, have not responded to two letters asking the army to join the peace talks. The war has killed tens of thousands of civilians and led to what aid organizations say is one of the world's worst humanitarian crises. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, we take a look at the question of the management of Gaza after the war. Stay tuned. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today. How do you reward yourself? I'll go and buy myself maybe a pair of shoes I always desire to get. I'll go and have a meal I always desire to get. Or anything. Depends on what I've achieved. By spoiling myself. Um, I'm a girl. I go buy myself clothes, shoes do my hair, my nails, basic things that will make me look good and happy at the end of the day. I cook a good meal, I sit down with a chill drink. My work involves very hard work, so I get very tired. So I reward myself once every month. I do that by swimming and relaxing at the beach with my family. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Days after being removed from a U.S. economic assistance program due to human rights concerns, Uganda is criticizing the West. In a speech Thursday, President Yuri Museveni urged lawmakers from Commonwealth countries to reject what he called the evil tendencies of Western countries towards societies that are different from them. Halima Uthmani reports for VOA from Kampala. Addressing 33 parliament speakers from countries in the International Commonwealth Bloc, Ugandan President Yoram Seveni urged them to ensure there is an end to what he called the oppression of man by fellow men. He said the oppression takes the form of aggression, looting, enslavement, displacement, ethnic cleansing, colonization and indirect domination without occupying one's territory. If you want freedom, if you value freedom, then you should value the freedom of everybody. If you value independence, if you value dignity, then you must, you must respect the dignity of everybody. Stop manipulations and lectures to the societies that are different from yours. Seven said some countries have used technological progress to hold down other countries that have different values. Instead of using this human progress for the benefit of all, some actors, out of greed and philosophical, ideological and strategic shallowness, miscalculate and seek to monopolize knowledge and also use knowledge to oppress others. Since Ugandan lawmakers passed an anti-homosexuality law in May 2023, the 
East African country has come under pressure for what has been called abuse of human rights. That includes the withdrawal funding by the World Bank and just this week being removed from the list of countries eligible for the U.S. African Growth and Opportunity Act, AGOA. Through that program, some countries in sub-Saharan Africa, including Uganda, had duty-free access to the U.S. market for close to 6,000 products. Member of Parliament, Asman Vasarirwa, who introduced the anti-gay legislation that has been described as the world's harshest law against the LGBT community, says he is not surprised that Uganda is facing those consequences. I'm really disappointed about their preferential treatment of rights. And that makes them lose the moral authority to attack the country over the anti-homosexual. Be that as it may, nobody should tell you that the country will not suffer as a result of closure. Uganda's earnings through Agoa grew from $4 million to about $8 million in the 12 months up to June 2023. Museveni said Uganda could still take advantage of its access to the 2.4 billion people who live in the Commonwealth, made up mostly of former British colonies, to grow its economy. Vasalira says Uganda now needs to find parts to markets in East Asia and focus on value addition so its products can get a foothold in the U.S. market. Halima Othmani for VA News, Kampala, Uganda. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is set to arrive today in the Middle East, his fourth visit to the region since the war between Israel and Hamas began on October 7. The State Department says his, fo- his focus will be on the management of Gaza after the war. The latest survey of Palestinian attitudes by the Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research says the Palestinian Authority has seen its support fall across the territories from 26% three months ago to 17% now, with 88% saying they would like to see President Mahmoud Abbas resign. However, the U.S. is relying on the Palestinian Authority to rule Gaza after the war. Khalid Jindi, director of Middle East Institute's program on Palestinian-Israeli affairs, explains why to VOA senior analyst Mohammed Ashanawi. Because they haven't really paid attention to internal Palestinian politics at all, frankly. They haven't really looked at what drives the legitimacy or popularity or credibility of Palestinian leaders. They have their own measures. They look at things like uh, security cooperation with Israel and abiding by past agreements. Those are the standards that the United States looks at. They don't really look at the domestic the credibility or legitimacy of the Palestinian leadership. Anyone who's followed that issue for the past 15 years or more knows that Mahmoud Abbas is simply weak and and not seen as, as credible or legitimate by a majority of Palestinians. And he's been becoming more and more weak with each day. So again, it's there's a disconnect between where U.S. policy is and reality. So the United States really doesn't have any alternative to Mahmoud Abbas and his failing authority because for them, obviously, Hamas cannot remain in power. They don't want Israel to remain indefinitely uh, as an occupying power inside the Gaza Strip. And so the only alternative left is Mahmoud Abbas, even if it's not a very credible or effective option.
So what kind of practical scenario you see for Gaza after the war? Well, I'm not sure what after the war means. I, I think where most people are expecting rather than an end to the fighting, that we'll see a transition to a different phase from, you know, indiscriminate carpet bombing and massive ground forces to something else. We don't know what that is, but we're likely to see a continued insurgency by Hamas and other armed groups inside Gaza against the Israeli presence there for the foreseeable future. So I don't really know what after the fighting means, if the fighting will just continue most likely in one form or another, perhaps not with the same level of intensity, but I don't expect it to end anytime soon. And so all of that what that means is that reconstruction or rehabilitation, humanitarian assistance, all of those things are going to be greatly complicated by the continued fighting, which is likely to be indefinite. But do you expect Palestinians to leave Gaza into Sinai as Israel is planning? I think it remains a distinct possibility in the short term. I think as long as this level of intensity of bombing uh, continues, as long as uh, Israel continues to use starvation as as a weapon, and we know that they're doing that because Human Rights Watch and others have reported on that. If that continues, I think it's not only possible, but probable that we'll see a mass exodus of Palestinians from Gaza into Sinai. Exactly what the tipping point is, is hard to say. But right now, the Israelis are resisting allowing more humanitarian assistance the way the United States would like. I think it's clear that they want to continue using uh, starvation and the spread of disease and the, the suffering of the civilian population as a form of pressure. I think they they see it as a way to pressure that eventually the, the population will turn on Hamas. If they're so hungry and so desperate, they will turn on Hamas. That's not likely to happen. What is more likely is that they will be forced to flee over the border. So really, I think in the next few weeks, as the situation becomes even more catastrophic, that becomes a distinct possibility. That was Khalid al-Jindi, director of Middle East Institute's program on Palestinian-Israeli affairs. He's speaking with VOA senior analyst Mohammed al-Shanawi. It's time for our weekly listener comment segment. And as usual, many of you wrote to us in the course of the week about the new year and news we covered in this broadcast. We first have these voice messages. Hello, BOA. I'm Tokyo, New York, from Juba, South Sudan. Hearing the death of the deputy chief of an administrative area will be to send news to the people of South Sudan. I'm here by calling the leaders of South Sudan to deploy the necessary unified forces. Police, wildlife, fire brigade, army, national security, with all the 10 states and three administrative areas. Very soon. Thank you very much. And a heavy South Sudan. We want people of South Sudan to be protected, the leaders of South Sudan to be protected, Without problem. Peace, peace, South Sudan. Thank you very much. Hello, VOA South Sudan. Good evening. This is Nixon Taban from Yeri. 
I want to say Happy New Year to all South Sudanese and the entire family of UAE. Um, I want to congratulate our security forces here for their marvelous work done during our first table here in Yay. I was very grateful and very happy when I saw our soldiers celebrating with us. Um, I remember on the first evening when I walked into the street and the patrol team of the military came with joy and blowing some trumpet, giving courage to all our citizens. It brought joy to everyone who was around. And this is what we need, that the relationship between military and the civilians is built. But my sad news is about Kondokoro and Juba. We still want to say the military commander must come for an accountability of what he has done. These are people who are against peace and we condemned it. And I want to wish you again prosperous New Year. And I want to say thanks for the organizing forces in Yale for making our town a place to live. Thank you so much. This listener writes, I am Eric Moses Charles from Yay. My regards to all the journalists working with VOA for providing us with information from around the world. Greetings to my beautiful wife, Nuela Manueno, and all my friends in South Sudan. Happy New Year. James Roy Majok from Unity State in Bantu Town says, Hi, Nabil Biagio and John Tanza. I wish everyone a prosperous New Year 2024. Tonight, I will be celebrating New Year's Eve as well as my birthday on the 1st of January 2024. Mindluak Ajwaj Melek in Juba says, Hello, VOA. My heartfelt condolences to the entire families and the Abiei government for the loss of their members, including Deputy Chief of Abiei Administrative Area. I am urging the national government to reinforce the, med- the mediator's team to use good mechanisms or wisdom to solve the ongoing co- conflict between the two communities. We are sorry indeed as South Sudanese citizens for the fighting that has reached this stage with government officials. Samuel Remo in Yale writes, Hi, South Sudan in focus. There is a bit of reform going on across the country. The unnecessary shooting of guns at big events has come to an end. This is an achievement. I, as an ordinary citizen of South Sudan, have seen. I ask our leaders to work hard to accomplish their goals, including peace. Thomas Kuntoj in Old Fangak Payam in Fangak County of Jongule said, writes, Hello, VOA South Sudan in focus. The wonderful event happening today here in Old Fangak Payam is that the mobile network is on air. We are very grateful to the Honorable County Commissioner Biel Butros Biel for his effort to deliver service to the isolated county in South Sudan. A million thanks to the Honorable County Commissioner and MTN Company as well. Mading Malwal Alwong in Malakal Town says, My condolences message to the people of Abiyay community who are in deep sorrow for the murder of Honorable Non Deng Nyok, the Deputy Chief Administrator of the Abiyay Administrative Area. 
Jacob, Jacob Dior Machueng from Rombek in Lake States, right? Dear South Sudan in focus, as a citizen of this country, I'm calling upon the transitional government I'm calling upon the transitional government to revisit their plans early in 2024. South Sudan is not capable of conducting elections in February 2025. In my opinion, it's not possible because all the chapters of the peace agreement have not been exhausted, especially the security arrangements. Another major setback is the census, which county which country goes to elections without knowing the population of our citizens? I request EGAD and all the mediators to critically assess the situation for elections. The views expressed here do not reflect the views of VOA or of this program. We appreciate hearing from all of you. Keep those comments coming. And that's all we have for you this Friday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. As I leave you with the song Kumbaya Dance by Masaka Kids Africana, I am your host Nabil Biajo in Washington. On behalf of our producer Gwen Uten and engineer Joe Gill, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Remember to join us again next week for another edition of South Sudan Focus from the Voice of America.